Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to my next guest on the Swim for Tribe podcast, uh, uh, an industry, um, well, he's he's a swimmer, he's an open water swimmer, he's campaigned for safe and healthy access to all sorts of venues, um, he's brought together you know, like-minded officials, uh, educators, coaches, facilities man- uh, management, and, and trying to sort of keep everyone happy in the water and safe, which is a lovely thing. He's very passionate about his swimming, Mr. Simon Griffiths, ed- editor and author, or... Uh, founder and publisher. Founder, founder and publisher now. Outdoor Swimmer Magazine. Jonathan's our, our wonderful, wonderful editor. Oh, okay. And previously it was H2Open Magazine, wasn't it? Yeah, we started in... 2011 as H2O. Gosh, that's nearly three years ago to outdoor swimmer. That'll that'll be ten years, not too far off. That's incredible. <laughs> it's that's amazing. That's a, before before we talk more about the magazine. Um, so I know you tried triathlon a long time ago. Was that was that be, did that lead you to pure open water swimming, or was it the other way around, or just how how did you get in started and involved in open water swimming? I, well, I was, a, I was a swimmer um, until I was about 13, I suppose. Um, then then I did some kayaking for a while. Um, quite enjoyed that. At university, I got back into swimming again. Um, that was in the early 1980s, and I actually did my first triathlon there. Wow. Um, in, oh, I can't remember the exact year, 1980 or something like that a long time ago um i did a triathlon with a with an open water swim with a and i swam in a um kayaking shorty wetsuit which filled up with with water horribly <laughs> underneath the armpits it was a, a sort of tank top wetsuit and that nearly drowned me <laughs> that was my first triathlon experience um, and um well then I kind of work, travel, kids, um, all got in the way before I really had another go at triathlon quite a number of years later. And um, similar time, I joined the Masters Swimming Club. Um, but uh, I've, I've always been a swimmer more than a, a runner or a okay. cyclist. Um, and um, and the open water swimming, I think when I when I started doing triathlons, I. I realised that the, the best ones were the ones with the open water um, element because there was that actually felt like a proper race rather than the ones, you know. That yeah. I, don't, I don't even know if they still do them. The sort of pool based ones where where, where it's more of a time trial format. There's a few, definitely. I mean, and, your story is very familiar because I, you know, after a long swim career, I I, I retired and, and then I think four or five years later I I did the London triathlon. And despite the apprehension and the, and the um, you know, being in the open water, it, within a few years, I really enjoyed that. And, and it, I mean, I, I persevered with try. I, I, I took on running and, and had a love-hate relationship with it. But, but eventually, you know, there was no need to do a try anymore. There were so many open water events by 2008. I, you know, you had your choice, didn't you? It was really emerging. Did, did you feel that, that, you know, 2008 was a, a pivotal year? swim launched. yeah uh, it was also obviously the first Beijing marathon swimming in the Olympics um, so there was definitely a lot going on there um, I, I hadn't really I don't think I really picked up on the open water swimming wave and, until probably 2010 
uh, 2008, I was I was still doing quite a lot of triathlon. Okay. Um, but it was it was becoming apparent that a lot of triathlon um, organisers were putting on um, swimming swim only events alongside their triathlons. And I started doing those, and I thought, well, this is this is quite good because um, I I'd usually come out quite near the front. Um, and in a triathlon, I'd do that and then spend the next two hours just being overtaken by people, <laughs> first on the bike and then on the run, which gets a bit depressing. After very, a very familiar. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's nice just to do the swim and, and uh, stay near the front. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, did you ever do an Ironman? Okay, well, um, Im- imagine imagine that biking and running just multiplied by about 10 hours of people yes. overtaking you for the next 10 hours. <laughs> yeah, well, that was, the, that was my Ironman career in a nutshell. Was the, the ratio of swim to run and bike distances is a lot more favourable for swimmers at Olympic and sprint distance. Sure. You, you mentioned your master's team. That's Teddington Swimming Teddington, Club? Teddington Swimming Club Masters, yeah. Okay, and is Ed still the coach at the moment, or have things changed? Uh, well, Ed was, was never the master's coach. Oh, okay. Um, he was, Ed Sinclair, talking about yeah. presumably, he was the junior club coach for a while. Uh, I think he's moved on now. We don't, and the, although we're the, we're the same club in name, operationally, we're, we, we're quite separate. We use the same pools. Um, and so on but operationally the, the masters is managed almost entirely independently from the from the junior club at Tennington. yeah okay excellent excellent so let's go back to the magazine um you know that that's a the 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 swimming community needed that we we had nothing i mean there's been you know publications from the asa over the years and you know there's been triathlon magazines but there was something missing that that really needed you know, to, to specialise in open water. Is is that how you sort of found that niche area? Um, in 2000, in, in the sort of late 2000s, sort of 2008 onwards, I was doing a variety of, of freelance uh, jobs, mainly writing things. One of them uh, was writing for Traffic's World, which was a sister publication to Runner's World, um, and I think now it exists in um, as a website. But at the time, it was a it was a printed magazine, and um, and I was doing some writing for them, and I naturally gravitated to writing about swimming because that's what I knew most about, and 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 it was through doing that that I I I guess I saw the potential for what you could cover in the, in the world of swimming. And then, particularly outside of triathlon, you, you, so triathlon swimming is, I think, is, is quite limited. It's it's sort of very purposeful swimming. It's to get, um, it's to, get to your bike <laughs> as quick as you can. <laughs> so, some <laughs> um, people have described then, it. You know, yeah. there, there's a lot of people, I think, in triathlon that see swimming as a necessary evil. You just got to do it to get to your bike. And, and on, you know, um, it's so, a it's a bike so race. Swimming is very it's it's very performance orientated. Yeah. And I could see that there was a lot more in swimming, and there's a lot of joy in swimming that's not captured in that triathlon 
I mean, just uh, think about think about the no, love and, of Lidos. And, and I like racing, and I like the, that aspect and competition of swimming, but I think it's not everything that swimming can offer. Yeah, yeah, the love of Lidos, the the joy, the you know, it it was bubbling under, but but it was lovely that somebody finally started to talk about it and point us in the direction of where and how to do it safely, and it all came about, didn't it? It was, I think it was the right time. Um, so, it was, so it was two years after the, the, the first marathon in the Olympics, as we said. It was two years after Great Storm had launched. I think Outdoor Swimming Society had been going for four or five years at the time, and there was there was some momentum growing there. And there were, I mean, there were there were already some standalone swimming events, like the, the Henley Swim, the, the Henley Classic already existed. The sort of four thirty in the morning swim up the Thames um, British Heart Foundation had their Bournemouth I think they already had their Bournemouth peer-to-peer oh, I remember doing that one so yeah. there were already a few standalone swimming events um, and then there was this, this whole movement growing um, of people who just wanted to just go out and enjoy swimming in nature and, and being in nature um, and take away all the competitive stuff technique stuff um, and just be in in the water and just just enjoy it for what it was and um, so there, there was all of that and I think at the same time um, and I, I haven't looked at the, the numbers for a while but I think at the same time there was a there was a surge in interest in channels for me oh that's interesting so that was that was growing at the same time so there's, there's that aspect of um, swimming as well but that is quite separate from triathlon the sort of the long distance marathon swimming um which which almost exists as a, as a in a in a bubble of its own but is still connected to to everything else in a swimming. I, I like to credit the triathlon organizations the the event organizers for for sort of helping open some of the the lakes for you know training and and giving access and and I think that helped because and then there was a trend, wasn't there? If you do you remember, sort of a lot of people that were organising triathlons then hit on the idea of swim-only events, which I thought at the time was nice because it gave people the chance to practice, to try out the courses, to experiment with pacing, but also it just meant that it helped that that flood of people's ability to to go and swim in more locations. organizers who were doing this at the time but i think the thinking for a lot of those organizers at the time was you know, let's put on a 1.5 or a 1.9 or a 3.8 to give triathletes a training opportunity uh, but then what happened is um people that weren't interested in triathlon decided to come and have a go and, and, yeah and do it uh, and i think those triathlon organizers um they they really helped support the growth or the, or the repopularization of open water swimming because obviously open water swimming existed and has, has been going on for long before triathlon ever existed um, and I think part of what triathlon did um, and then we can get into a whole de- debate about wetsuits as well here, but because um, triathlon pushed the development of swimming wetsuits which didn't really exist before triathlon yeah and um, Swimming wetsuits 
made open water swimming accessible to a lot of people who, who wouldn't have considered it before. Um, and I think that it, that brought a lot of, or, or helps and still helps a lot of people take that first step into open water because if you're slightly nervous, if you're worried about the cold, if you're worried about your buoyancy and so on, um, that wetsuit can, can really help you get started. De- if you, you know, at some point you decide that you'd rather swim without it and prefer swimming without it, and it can be a, uh, a really nice introduction. I'm, I'm hoping... Into open water. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm hoping to speak to Jeremy um, from from the Henley organization. And, and mm-hmm. you know, that he, he's been quite instrumental in, in offering events with and without wetsuits. And this is an interesting debate, yeah, isn't so it? I mean, we, they, they, they've always had their traditional their skins. Traditional there. And, the, and that's great to see, you know. And sometimes the, the, the wetsuits get a get a tough press uh, in some of the, the swimming circles. Um, but you know, if if it opens up to a wider audience and it's done well and it's done safely, you know, I, I don't I don't think there's a you know there's nothing wrong with them. You know, we we have our preferences. I I, I actually prefer not to be in one now. I mean, I like the fact that they'll they'll make me faster. But it's a it's sort of an illusion, isn't it? Really, if you're being honest with yourself, I'm, <laughs> you know, it, it, but it, it keeps you warmer, keeps you more buoyant, and that for a lot of people that's the reassurance because obviously we teach a lot of open in, in open water now and, and those are the the fear factors that pe- really deter people initially mm-hmm. yeah and I, and I think um people you know if, you, if you're used to swimming pool temperatures then then going into open water <laughs> in this country at least and especially if you're starting in, in april or may there, there's a big difference in in the water temperature and it it's something that a lot of people can get used to quite quickly, uh, but the thought of it and the initial experience of it can be very off-putting. So, um, if a, if a wetsuit can help you overcome that barrier, then I then I think it's a good thing. Do you, Do you have a definitive preference one way or the other now? You prefer not. Uh, it depends. <laughs> um, it depends on if I'm if I'm racing. Um, and everyone else in the race is wearing a wetsuit, then I want to wear a wetsuit because I want to keep up and be competitive. Yeah, it's, it's, so the, you know, we've it, been... We've, unless, unless there's a separate category for, for non-wetsuit swimmers. It's been a um, bit... You know, a separate, uh, separate rank. You know, that's just my sort of competitive element there. Yeah. Um, if, I'm, if I'm going in and, you know, maybe doing some head-up brushstroke and looking around and wanting to stay in the water for a while but not being too energetic then a, then a wetsuit can can just help keep you comfortable for a bit longer and I really like the feeling of getting into not not cold I'm not I'm not a winter swimmer or, or a true cold water swimmer but um, you know if the water's sort of in the mid-teens um, to get in with that wetsuit and a, and a short swim without a wetsuit and those temperatures it's a you know it's a bit of a um an effort to get in to start with, and it's a and, it, and it's a little bit uncomfortable. But then after a few minutes, it feels amazing. Um, so that's you know that's something to really appreciate about not swimming in a wetsuit. It, something the sensation of feeling the cold on your skin, but not being cold. It's, it's a kind of odd experience, <laughs> quite special about swimming. Yeah, that is, isn't it? We've both obviously been up to Sheffield for the Masters Nationals, and and that was. Do you think that was handled a little bit clumsily a few years ago when 
they started to allow wetsuits and then you had within the waves you had people with you had people without you know it, it, during that little narrow bandwidth of a certain temperature it was optional but it kind of skewed the results a, a fair amount yeah i wasn't there that year um i think um swim england as, as the organizer there were, were in a slightly difficult position because um the rules they were handed down by fina fina yeah um, are those are those rules with that temperature guidance that between uh, 16 and 18 degrees the wetsuit's compulsory between 18 and 20 it's it's optional and above 20 it's um it's not allowed um and and those rules i think primarily were designed around the elite end of the sport um and then but at masters level obviously you've got a wide range of people some people who never swim in wetsuits and some people who always swim in wetsuits um, and, I, and I think it, it, it's really challenging to create a, a national level competition that sort of caters for all of those um, all of those different groups um, so in a, in a way it was simpler before when it was you know yeah. above 16 degrees you swim in that wetsuit below 16 degrees there's no race and it was very simple and straightforward but um, you know the evidence that, that came out of some of the, the, the studies that they did down in, in Portsmouth was that um, and, it, and it was mainly referring to the sort of the longer the marathon swims, but even elite swimmers um, who are used to cold water swimming, um, it, within two hours at sort of 16 degrees could get dangerously close to yeah. hypothermia. Um, so it's trying to balance that sort of safety at that elite level um, with the different needs of, of a master swimming community. Uh, and I don't think there's an easy answer there. True. Yeah. 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 It, it sort of needs variations within the, the, the categories to, you know, to, to, to sort of level it out a little bit. But it, it's it's never going to be a, a happy solution for everyone. There'll always be. Um, but but, you know, they're, they're doing their best, we can say. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you so so yeah. your column now in the magazine you're you know you're really an advocate for cleaner water for healthier water for access um done safely and sensibly you've done a great job of bringing together i mentioned you know coaches educators open water facilities managers um we had a lovely meeting uh, at the amazing thames bath wasn't it R near running running me last year yeah um about exactly a year ago today actually oh amazing oh that's <laughs> so you know that that's a that's a lovely insight that you you care so passionately about it being done well i mean how do you see open water developing in in the future um i know there's been a little bit of um you know well not hesitation but some people have been a little bit concerned about the, the the rules and regulations well not even that but sort of you know any governing body becoming too heavily involved you, how do you see that unfolding uh, um, well right obviously right now we've, we've been thrown completely off course anything that was was going on in terms of development of open water swimming you know, we, we've seen more and more people coming into it each year we've seen and one of the trends that's been really big over the last few years is, is the growth in winter swimming um, and, and more and more people wanting to from outside all year that's a remarkable success um, <laughs> um, 
and, I, and I'm quite curious now what's going to happen um, with with the current situation we find ourselves in um, and what impact that will have on the growth of water swimming um, and, and I, you know there's, there's a number of factors that are co- coming in at the moment you know, we don't know how long social distancing regulations or rules are going to be in place and we don't know how long those are going to impact events um, but one thing we could potentially speculate is that if there's some relaxation of the social distancing um, events still might not be able to go ahead or they might only be able to go ahead under very special controlled circumstances swimming pools might still remain closed um, but it might be possible to start opening up beaches um, and potentially inland swimming venues as well um, because they're easier spaces to control physical distancing in than, than perhaps swimming pools or or the start of an event or you know an event where everyone gets changed at the same time yeah in close so it's possible that um Dep- you might see a, an increase in interest in swimming outdoors this summer um depending on how the the rules around physical distancing travel um access to to pools and gyms um whether events can go ahead or not um but one of one of the scenarios could be that outdoor swimming is allowed before indoor swimming that would be interesting Uh, yeah i mean uh, yes i think allowed might you know venues might be allowed to open um the rnli might put be able to put lifeguards back on beaches well that that was going to be my thought i mean the 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 pure act of swimming you think okay in a in a large lake surely i'm quite safe but the minute you need an interaction with a lifeguard or cpr Mm -hmm. then then obviously all of that goes out the window and social distances will be will be breached so there's no easy answer is there requirements um, I, I, there's just a possibility that, that swimming in venues might be allowed before swimming in pools which could bring a lot of people into outdoor swimming for the first time um, which is obviously an opportunity for anyone involved in outdoor swimming but also a challenge how do you manage yeah. other people coming into outdoor swimming at one time who haven't done it before so that, that could be quite interesting how that plays out this summer. Um, it's uh, whatever happens, I think it's going to be a really it's a really difficult year for event organisers and venue managers already. Um, so you know I don't know how how those groups are going to cope with you know how are they going to to manage to survive until next year um, because. I, there's, there's not going to be. It's already not a normal season, and we know that a lot of events yeah. have been cancelled already. Um, I, I think venues in general probably see their biggest traffic in the early part of uh, of summer, late spring, early summer. That's their the, 
the biggest part of their, their traffic quite often. Um, we we certainly so there's, do. Swimmers will tend to swim all, all season, but um, I think particularly triathletes will tend to get in the open water in the lead up to their events, and then probably not or not do so much. Then the race season kicks kicks event. in. So, um, in a typical year, you, you'd expect venues to be busier at the beginning of the year, and therefore be making bulk of their income at the beginning of the year. Um, but they're now going to miss this year, so that's going to put challenges on venues. Um, some events will be able to roll over their entries until next year. Um, some might—I I, I don't know how they will manage that—but you know, the, it, it's, there's, there's a lot of things moving around that are going to be difficult. But without without events, um, without open water swimming, people aren't buying new goggles and not buying wetsuits. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a difficult year for all of the, the brands that are selling things to triathletes and, and swimmers. It's certainly going to um, trickle down, yeah, definitely. And, and and coaches, I mean, you know for yourself, it's really difficult to operate. And, you know, a lot of coaches are being really creative um, and, um, you know, trying to keep providing some kind of service. Um, but you you just can't but, replace being in the water. You can't put an end date on it. <laughs> um, you know, it, it might be that you know you've got loads of desperate people in six months' time that we can get back in the pool, and they're all desperate for lessons because they they feel like they've gone backwards in this time that we can't swim. Fingers crossed. Or it might be that they think, oh, sorry, I'll just wait until next year. Um, we just we just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, Let's move on to something a bit more lighthearted. <laughs> Obviously, you've been involved um, in uh, setting up a very nice piece in the magazine about sort of swimming travel. Um, can you touch on a few of the more exotic places you've either raced or just swum or, you know, had the going on a swim holiday with? Um, so, um, there, there, there's definitely something fun and adventurous about doing a race in another country uh, and I really recommend it uh, especially going somewhere where you don't speak the language or understand what's going on um, because uh, it's just a really, really strange sensation you, you look around you everyone looks pretty much as they do racing at home you always expect to see people you know in the crowd like you do when you race in this country um, but usually you don't know anybody you don't know what's going on you don't know when the start is going to be, you don't know where to go, so you just kind of have to kind of tag along and, and hope for the best. <laughs> it's a real adventure. Um, but there's always, wherever you go, there's always people that are going to look after you and help you. And, um, it's a lovely community, so, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, over the years, I've Southern Europe, um, Southern Europe and Turkey are really nice places to race because you know, it's just, there's just nice places to go. Uh, water's usually warm and clear. Uh, there's a really nice series of events and along the Costa Brava in Spain. Um, I've done a couple of races in Italy. Um, Italy is a bit more tricky because quite often they need a doctor's certificate for you to race, um, which can be a bit of a barrier. Um, Greece, I've, I've done a really nice race there. Um, and then Turkey, I went last uh, this time last year. Um, a bit, bit more of a journey to get to, 
were, were you dabbling dabbling a little bit more with Attila recently with the swim run? I've done, I've done a bit of swim run as well. Uh, I, I really like the, the, the swim run. It's just like this, the whole sort of adventure side of it. Um, as, as, uh, as competitive as... One of those, though, you realise that, that um, the, standard, the, the, the standard at Attila was really, really high. Uh, <laughs> Six-hour race, an hour and a half behind the leaders. Was was that the the Isle of Sky event you went to, or which you, one was that? Did you do the Isle of the Sky? I didn't do that one. I've done. Uh, uh, I did uh, Brecker jerseys. Okay. Um, I've done Attila Malta and the the sprint Attila in Hvar in Croatia. Croatia. Okay, that's all right. Um, and I've done the final 15 kilometers of the original Attila in Sweden as well. Um, the, the original is, includes 65 kilometers of running, so wow. I'm glad I just did the final 15, actually. That, that's a, it's, it's interesting how that's become so popular the last few years. People clearly looking for another option without the bike. And, mm-hmm. and, and this has just filled another little category, hasn't it? And, and from that, a whole industry's blossomed with specific wetsuits being created for being able to run in and, and adaptations for pull boys and paddles and so on. It's, 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 it's lovely how the, the, you know, the swimming, well, not purely the swimming community, but, but how it's Breach, broaching into other areas. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I personally, I mean, I, I, I just really like the swim run and the, the whole ethos around the event. Uh, but I, I do think um, for a swimmer, that the swim run is a lot more accessible than triathlon. Oh, interesting. And, and also, I think the the experience is closer to a swim experience. Um, I find triathlon is quite regulated in a way. It's you know, it's, if you do an Olympic distance triathlon, it's always a fifteen hundred meter swim, a forty kilometer bike ride, and a ten kilometer run. It's always in that order, um, and it's you know, it's it's always on. There are off road triathlons as well, but you know, most of it's on on roads or tarmac. Whereas the the swim run, um, you know, like swimming the length of the lake, you don't know how long it is. Um, the swim run the distances are whatever fits the geography you're in um, and there's the, the proportion of swimming as an overall percentage of the race is a lot higher than in oh that's good that's good um, and is it always that you're in in a pair and are you tethered i've read and heard about this um the original format that created by the, the people that created the tiller is pairs racing um and they, they do that for, for safety reasons and also historical reasons. That was how they, they did the first, they did it as a, as a challenge. Um, and it's, it's actually a really interesting dynamic to, to race in a pair. And I, and I think it, it makes the event, again, it makes it very different to triathlon. Um, and I, I really like it. I think it's, um, I don't know, um, you know, sometimes you get tired in a race and you, your motivation flags and if you've got someone else with you tugging that on that tether to, you know, <laughs> and the, the tethering stuff um i've not used i've not raised with a tether because it's, it's optional in all the races oh, okay i see actually tied together uh, the requirement is usually you have to stay within a, a certain distance 
of your race partner and um, if if you're quite different speeds in the water then I think the tether is really useful uh, <laughs> to, to keep you together um, and I think sometimes it's also useful if, if say one of you if, even if you're a similar speed and, and I don't know this from experience but this is what other people have told me that even if you're a similar speed if you take it in terms of leading um, you get an opportunity to, to sort of rest not completely rest obviously but ease back a bit if you're the one that's towed and drafting um, and Interest- by, by sharing that lead you save more energy for the running interesting that's dynamics that's good that's good um, where did I get to oh you were asking whether they're always in pen- there, there are events now they tend to be shorter ones um, where where you can race as an individual um, I've not done one um, but uh, you know it's I guess it's it's the same thing but it's just <laughs> you go your own pace rather than trying to match your pace to someone else's I, I really so, I really like that because not everybody has the time to you know swim bike run um, put the time in on the bike which usually is heavily weight you know competitions are weighted um, on the bike so this is another new dynamic um, you know if you if you you know it, and you mentioned that word adventure and, and that's what open water can be can't it really you know you, you've, you've got to race from A to B or there's loops and, and we've done those but but sometimes and, and I think the 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 swim holidays have become a remarkable success in their own right, haven't they? Yeah. Just, you know, meandering along the Croatian coastline, you know, the boat overseeing you. Have you, have you done many holidays like that? Uh, I haven't, um, but not because I don't want to. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's, there's, they're obviously, well, it depends where you go, but they can be quite pricey. Um, and... Yeah, using the family holiday budget to go uh, swim holiday on my own <laughs> doesn't quite seem fair. Um, <laughs> but I have done. I, I did a really nice trip with swim trek um, to the Isles of Scilly, uh, which was lovely. Um, it wasn't warm, uh, but the Scilly Isles are, are amazing, lovely. Beautiful water, I've heard. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've done that one. That's the only one I've done, actually. Um, I'm still waiting for someone to invite me to somewhere really nice and warm, but unfortunately, the swimming travel companies, um, I mean, their business has effectively been completely shut down. Um, you can't travel anywhere. Um, it's, yeah. So it's going to be a hard time and a, a challenge recovery for, for, those, for those businesses, I think, from this. Simon, we're about up with our 30-ish minutes. I appreciate your time and insights into all aspects of open water swimming. Good luck with the magazine, and um, hopefully we'll be back swimming and and racing at some point soon. Uh, Good luck with the the lockdown, and hopefully you can join me with some swimming cords when we do our training Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, It's been a real pleasure talking to you, and, and just love to share your passion about swimming, and thank you for being a really... You know, really charming guest to tell us all about open water. I, I like that a lot. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you.